We're in Mizmor Kuf Mem Zayin and Tehilim, which is the next of the Pesukei de Zimra. We know that we are continuing Pesukei de Zimra from Tehillah le David until the end of Sefer Tehilim. That is the uh, prescription of the Pesukei de Zimra as given to us by the Gemara on Shabbat and the Rif and the Gersot over there of the, of the Gemara. That Pesukei de Zimra begins with Tehillah le David and ends at the end of Sefer Tehilim. Therefore, the second, or the third Mizmor, really, is the second Halaluka, and that is Halaluka Kitov Zamra. <coughs> now, the previous, <coughs> as we mentioned three weeks ago, two weeks ago, Ashrei Shevetecha, or the Mizmor of Tilala David, is a Mizmor which, huh? Oh, yeah, it'll be. The, the, the Mizmor of Tilala David is a praise where we take a global, more universal um, <clears throat> position when we praise Hashem, it's a it's a praise which basically assembles and um, not just assembles but calls upon all of humanity and life on Earth to praise Hashem, all of the existence of the universe to praise Hashem. So it's a very global praise. The next Mizmor Halali Nafshiat Hashem is Nafshi. It's a personal one. So that Hallelujah, as we discussed last week, takes the stance of a of a single personal observer who sees Hashem's Hashkacha Pratit in his life. As we said, Matir Asurim, Noten Lechem Nerevim, Pokeach Ivrim, all these personal uh, tishuot that a person could have in his life, which he um, experiences individually and personally. Now the next Mizmar, which is the one we're going to try to discuss today, is Haluluka Kitov Zamra. This Haluluka takes a different position. This one takes the position of Zion itself, of Yushalayim, or the Jews of Yushalayim. And why does it do this? It does this because the previous Mizmar ended off with the words, Elokayich Zion Ledorador Haluluka. The previous Mizmar said, Yimloch Hashem Lolam, Hashem will reign forever. Elokayich, your God, Zion, O Zion, right? Ledor vador, generation after generation, Hallelujah. So when the, when the Nevi'im address Zion, they are, they're addressing usually Yushalayim, sometimes the people of Yushalayim. Because it ended off speaking about Yushalayim, the Malbim points this out and a few others, we continue with, um, with a praise said from the perspective of Yerushalayim. Now, sometimes Yerushalayim is spoken of like in Sefer Echa as like a, like an almana or like it's a, uh, you know, like it actually has personhood. It's given an anthropomorphic kind of position. The Yerushalayim itself has some sort of personhood which is in anguish or is, uh, what's the word, um, grieving or left alone. So... This Mizmar takes the position of Yerushalayim and praises Hashem from the position of Yerushalayim. That's one way of looking at it. I believe that's the way the Malvin uh, sees the Mizmar. Others look at it as a nevuah. The Tavira Melech um, is prophesying, that, prophe- prophesying from the position of his vision of the future Yerushalayim in the time of the third Beit HaMikdash. And this praise is what B'nai Israel will sing after the Gula. Is, uh, is upon us. So, both interpretations uh, work very well, and the difference is whether or not you take certain things in the present tense or you take them in the future tense, but we're going to try to go through the, 
the um, the Mizmor pasuk by pasuk and see if we can follow David HaMelech here. It says, Hallelujah, we've discussed the word, praise be Hashem, Kitov Zamra, for it is good to make music, Elokeinu, to our God. So usually in Hebrew, in Lashon HaKadosh, you would say, Lizamer, right? Lizamer, Lelokeinu. But in this situation, for poetic purposes, it's so it seems, David HaMelech chooses Zamra, Lelokeinu, perhaps because it rhymes, but it flows better. So he goes, Kitov Zamra, Elokeinu. For it is good to make music to our God. Kinaim Navatihila. For it is pleasant and beautiful, beautiful to praise Him. Now the grammar here is quite is a little tricky because Naim Navatihila. Exactly what does that mean? So you could say it is beautiful, it is pleasant, and it is Nava. It is beautiful Tihila to praise Him. Another way to say it is that Tihila itself, Naim Vinavatihila. Tihila itself is beautiful and pleasant. Or you could say it is, um, it is pleasant to make the tehillah desirable. Naim na'avatila. It is pleasant to make the tehillah desirable. And lastly, you could say that it's kinaim na'avatila. That it is pleasant to make Hashem desirable through praise. So all of these meanings can really be wrestled out of these words because the grammar here is so loose. It's used poetically, but elu ve'elu divrei chayim. You could really interpret it. It, you could interpret it in any way. Just as a note, zemer is usually a word used in conjunction with the idea of making melody through musical instruments, not through bepeh. Shira is bepeh, and zemer is usually with uh, uh, musical instruments. And uh, I think the Hasidei Chabad in uh, Sidurim Dach point out that there's a special significance here that there's zamra lelokenu, that the Shem Hashem, which is manifested through elokenu, is... Um, is sung to with uh, musical instruments because of the way um, the way we relate to Elokeinu more than the way we re- relate through um, Shira. Exactly what the uh, exactly how that's structured is is an idea with uh, Elokeinu be representing Bina, but it's 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 really beyond the scope of the Shira to really understand why Elokeinu in this in this situation represents Bina. Okay, Bonei Shlaim Hashem. Hashem is the builder of Yerushalayim. Nidhei Yisrael yechanes, he shall gather the scattered of Bnei Yisrael. Now it doesn't say that Hashem will build Yerushalayim, Yibanei Yerushalayim. Hashem says, it says that Hashem is the builder of Yerushalayim and that he will gather the scattered of Israel. So there's two Midrashim we need to understand. Uh, we need to know to understand this. I'm sorry I couldn't print it out this week. But it says... There's one midrash, and I don't have the language in front of me, thanks to my printer being out of commission. That one midrash says that um, one of the Amoraim went to Shemaim and he saw the Malachim uh, rushing with bricks to build the Yeshiva, the, the Beit Hamikdash Shel Mala. And Loyavo, Yushalayim Shel Mata Achiavo Yushalayim Shemala. Basically, there's this idea that once the Yushalayim Shel Mala is built, when uh, the Beit Hamikdash is built in Shemayim, then it comes. Then we're ready to have the Beit Hamikdash built in our world. So when we do mitzvot and when we learn Torah, to some degree, we're building bricks and uh, restoring what's known as the Beit Hamikdash Shalmala or Yushalayim Shalmala. And therefore, at a spiritual sense, Hashem is the builder of Yushalayim because at every minute, Hashem is building Yushalayim. 
Another perspective is that this pasuk is simply a vision of the future. The Navi is standing in the future, he's time traveling, and he's seeing in the future Hashem building Yerushalayim, so to speak. Another midrash we need to understand this is Nidchei Yisrael Yechanes. The Rishonim bring this that there's a midrash Agada, which says that uh, there's a Misorabi Adenu that Yerushalayim, Mashiach's not going to come until most of B'nai Yisrael have assembled into Yerushalayim, specifically the ten Shvatim, the ten lost tribes, when, when all of the, the ten lost tribes assemble, uh, finally return to Yerushalayim, that is when, um, that is when the, the Beit HaMikdash will be rebuilt. The Hasidim point out that Nidchei Yisrael mean the scattered ones of B'nai Yisrael, and that's basically the idea that our Neshamot are scattered and we have to bring them back together and bring our neshamot back together. And when we gather us, ourselves together as one um, unified soul, so to speak, and when we bring our souls together and we, and we purify ourselves, that's when Yerushalayim will be built. And on the same vein, it continues, Hashem is the healer of the brokenhearted, which is fascinating that this, uh, <laughs> that this expression is so many thousands of years old that one's heart could be broken. And he bandages their grief. He basically binds their, their sorrows, their, their wounds. So, Rofe, over here, Rofe Lishvoyelev can mean many things. First of all, most directly it means B'nai Israel, who were brokenhearted in the Galut. That, the, that those who return to Yerushalayim and who had went through suffering themselves, they are going to be healed of their broken hearts. It could be thought of in the present tense, poetically, that Hashem is the one, as we said last week, that Hashem is the Rofeh he's the one who's, who's the healer of the broken hearts. And he binds their wounds, so you know, everybody has wounds from which they, uh, from which they need to heal. Uh, just give me a second here. And... On the same vein, we could also say that Harufei, uh, the Shavuari Lev, can be talking about, obviously, our Neshamot, that there's this idea that our Neshamot are a sort of splinter, that each all of our Neshamot are the result of a Shvirav form of breaking, and therefore we all have to reassemble that. Now, interestingly, the next Pasuk says, after Harufei, the Shavuari Lev, Machabesh HaSpotam, Monem Kochavim, sounds like a completely different topic, that Hashem is going to count the number of the, of the stars, the Chulam Shemot to all of them he gives a name. So what exactly here is the flow from Hashem healing the brokenhearted and, and binding their grief to counting the stars? So there's many ways to learn this. There's a fun one that I heard a long time ago, and I can't. I actually searched for it on on on, uh, on the, all the uh, Jewish search engines. I couldn't find the makor for this, but there's a um, a pshat that we know that when Hashem created the the um, the sun and the moon, he created them as Shnei Malachim. There are two kings, so to speak, and they're both equal in powers, so to speak, oh, equal in size, equal in power. And somehow the moon, uh, the Midrash says, Rashi brings this in Breshit, that the moon complained, you can't have two Malachim, you can't have two kings reigning at once. So Hashem said, you're right, I'm going to make you smaller, I'm going to make you the Katan, and he made him smaller. And to appease the moon, he gave the moon stars. So... Some interpret these pesukim to say that Hashem is the healer of the brokenhearted, meaning the moon. And therefore, that Hashem for the moon, He created for the moon all these stars. It's a very cute vart. I don't know where it's from, but uh, it's a cute idea. Um, 
Most of the Rishonim, however, learn that Monem Yisbar Kochavim is speaking about B'nai Yisrael. And the Rokeach says, Magid, this teaches us that every, every Jewish person every, or every person has a Kochav Barakiah. Every person has a star which represents him in the sky and Hashem designated that star for him and whatever that means, but this star has some sort of influence on him or some sort of, uh, uh, what's the word, representation of him. And therefore, just like Hashem created all these stars for every Jew, Hashem cares, it's a, mas- it's a mashal really that Hashem cares about every single Jew. So most basically, mo- most in the most basic sense, this is a direct mashal to the Jewish people. That the Jewish people are in mashal kochavim, like we saw with Avraham Avinu, Hashem said, go, go count the stars, see if you can count them. So B'nai Yisrael are like the kochavim. And the, the, the most uh, simple translation of Monem Yisrael kochavim means B'nai Yisrael, that Hashem is counting B'nai Yisrael, each and every person, and every single one of them is dear to him. The Chulam Shemot Yikrani gives to each one of them a name. Now, Monem Mispar, Mispar is usually um, a, a word used when we speak about small numbers. When we say, when we're counting large amounts, we say Pikudehem, right? Like in Parashatna, so Elu, uh, uh, I think Elu Shemot Bnei so I don't remember the exact Lashon, but li, like li, the, 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 the numbers of the Shvatim, Pikudehem, to their countings. When we're speaking about a small number, like, you know, like just a couple of things, a couple of people, we say a mispar. So the idea here is that to Hashem, even the number of the stars in the universe are small in number. They're still considered a mispar. They're not considered a uh, uh, mifkad. They're not considered a, you know, calculative uh, higher number. Now, there's two things that the, um, that the pasuk points out. First thing that it points out is that the that Hashem counts all of them, and the second thing that the pasuk tells us is that the that He gives each one of them a name. So what is the difference in counting, giving each one of them them a name? So we know that there's a rule, especially in halacha, that when we count something, it's because we're giving it hashivut. What, generally, the idea of counting is that you're giving each and everything. It's uh, you're you're treating it with a special level of respect. That's a, how how counting works in the eyes of the Torah. For example, when we when we uh, put on our tefillin, there's a minhag that we you know we wrap it svaradim. Uh, we wrap it eight times, then we count them. So that's also from uh, the idea of of showing that there's a chashivut for the thing that we're doing. Sh- uh, shame, as we've spoken before, shame is used for other people. A shame is used so, so that another can reference something. That is what a name is used for. It's, co- it's a called upon to address someone else or to page something else. Therefore, when it says that Hashem gave every star a name, it means that every star in the universe has also a purpose and a function. Besides Hashem giving it each one distinction, it also has a purpose and a function. So this is actually a very interesting kind of tangent because we know that there's an ancient, uh, ancient, ancient, ancient practice of astrology, and that is the belief in the divinity or the power or the magic 
of astronomy. There's some sort of magic, there's some sort of power to the stars, and it's really difficult to ascertain whether or not astrology has any place in Judaism. Is it real? Is it fake? Is it something that we should have incorporated? Should we never have incorporated it? Does the Torah approve of it? Does it not approve of it? The Pasuk says in Anenu, I believe, that it says you can't be superstitious, you don't listen to the soothsayers, is it a superstition? Is it a uh, is is astrology something from from the goyim? It's 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 really not clear because we have midrashim this way, we have gemarot the other way. Some midrashim say that, for example, Hashem took Abraham above lamala minhat staganiot shalom. Hashem took him higher than his his uh, his stars, and he showed him that you're above the stars, and he showed him a newer perspective. So it would sound like Avram Avinu was concerned that his mazal didn't uh, uh, foretend, uh, portend, what's the, what's the proper word, um, a, uh, a future Rebbe Yisrael would come from him. And Hashem said, don't worry about the stars. I, I, I've, I've got this. So some, some explain, I, I believe this is, uh, and Muke Yosef says this, that there, and plenty have assumed this uh, that in the Rishonim, that there's this idea that some of the Rishonim understand astrology this way, that Hashem communicates with lower worlds in certain ways. There's different um, levels of abstraction or filters between ourselves and Hashem. Some of those worlds are the worlds of Malachim, for example, for angels. And in some of those worlds, the world of the Kohavim. So when Hashem communicates his Hashba'ah, so to speak, to our world, he sometimes does it through a medium known as an angel, or he does it through a medium known as a star. So the, star, the stars would be on a lower level than the angels. So stars would sort of be some sort of spiritual puppet strings that Hashem uses to kind of move or to uh, affect the Teva. So whenever, whenever there's a Shefa coming or a, uh, an R coming down to our world, into our Teva, this would happen through the Kohavim. Not that the Kohavim um, are deterministic for B'nai Israel. B'nai Israel can cut loose of our puppet strings if we want to, but there are these so to speak, deterministic um, puppet strings which are controlling the Teva. B'nai Israel are not bound to these strings and we can <laughs> easily and readily break off of them. So according to that understanding, the reason the Torah forbids us from going to, uh, to going to, what are they called? Um, uh, people, yeah, people who, um, you know, palm readers and, and stargazers and things like that is because um, either, so if you're learning it like that, then there's, there's a few ideas as to, as to why it's Asur to go to such people who do stargazing. And if it's Asur, there's in, in Yoradea Kuf Ayintet, the tour speaks about this problem. Is it Asur or is it not Asur to, to listen to the stargazers? We could bring, you know, you could bring proofs from Yosef HaTzadik, from all different places in the Torah where it seems that some people paid attention to the Mazalot, some people didn't. Um, uh, Rabbi Akiva says in, in um, I think it's in Sanhedrin, he says that it's a sur to, to, uh, to go to anybody who, who will tell you that this time is, 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 is fortunate for this thing and these times are bad for these things. Don't go to any people who are like that. So the Torah speaks about this halakhically <laughs> uh, between the different, he brings the shitot of the different Rishonim and the Bet Yosef over there also does whether or not stargazing is a sur, if it's included in Lotel and Enu, if it's included in Lotel 
is it a superstition? The Rambam learns that the whole thing is a superstition. It's all a sort to do in a Torah because you're not allowed to make, you're not allowed to be superstitious. Other Rishonim learn that it's not a superstition. It's not included in Lotenachesh. They, but they're still a sort from Lotenenu. Why? So there's different reasons given. Some say that it's a sore because it'll make you like the goyim. Some will say, some will say it's a sore. Why did Hashem make it a sore? Because you need bitachon. And some say something a little more interesting. And this I've heard from a few people in the yeshiva world that there's an idea, and I didn't, I didn't have time to research the source of this idea, that we all work under under Hashkachapratit. We're all the ma'alam in Ateva. When a person consults a stargazer, when he goes to somebody who can see the future, so to speak, with a deterministic eye, he's cursing himself. The punishment is that he's going to, that that thing's going to happen. So if you go to a stargazer and he tells you what's supposed to happen according to the stars, it's going to happen to you. Why? Because if you leave Hashkachapratit and you want Hashem to treat you in a cold, deterministic, natural fashion, then that's what's going to happen. And you're going to actually get treated in a deterministic fashion. So many of the Rishonim believed that astrology was very real and that it was even a Jewish concept. Uh, the Ibn Ezra wrote a few svarim on astrology. Uh, the, the Ramban held that it was real. The Mukayosef held it was real. Uh, even some of the rationalists, like the al Bag, they felt that the, the spheres controlled, you know, the astronomical spheres controlled the Teva. Again, modern science today doesn't really make much of this. So it's not easy to understand if there is some effectiveness to the stars. You can always find the middle ground, that there is a spiritual effectiveness to some spiritual representation or spiritual beings of the stars, but the, the physical stars themselves do nothing for us. Could be. Um, that's, that's probably an easier middle ground for us. Um, and I think actually the, uh, the Taurus, uh, I think the Mechaber and Shulchan Aruch seems to, to, to paskin Lekula, like the Ramban, that, uh, that it is not Lotanachesh and that it is real. Um, that, uh, so that if a stargazer does tell you something, then I think you are allowed to be choshesh for that. If he, not, you're not allowed to go to them, but if a stargazer t- tells you something's going to happen, you're allowed to be choshesh for it if, he, if you don't ask him for that advice. It also, even though the stars might tell people things, I should just point out, it doesn't tell you the future well. As we know from Yosef and, and the Mitzrayim, that uh, they can only see certain things. They can't really see everything. They only get a, a rough idea of what's going to happen, but they don't. Ha- they really don't see the whole picture. They could see one or two facts that they see as coming, but even that could be uh, heavily flawed. All right, so that's tangential, but that's the idea that uh, in Judaism there is a, a body of, of work in, in the Torah about astrology. The question of how much, how valid it is, and how many of the of the Tanaim, Amoraim, Rishonim believed in it, is uh, is a tr- its own tremendous topic. Okay. So that's so much for the stars. Uh, let's see. What do we have here? Further. Gadol Adonenu Vurav Koach Letivunato in Mispar. So harping on the, the previous word of Mispar, it says that our master is great and exceedingly powerful. Letivunato, his understanding in Mispar is limitless. So it, this doesn't actually... I mean, the, the sentence is very clear, that Hashem is uh, great and exceedingly powerful. What does that have to do with the previous sentence? Most likely, it's a vision of the Geulah, that, that he's saying that, that, Hashem is, that we're going to see in the future that Hashem is great and His power is limitless. But this part, to, to say that you're actually counting understanding doesn't really work, because you don't count or calculate uh, Bina. There's no IQ. There's no true IQ with, in, with intellect. So Rav Hirsch speaks about this, and he says that it's... I believe he says the that 
that Hashem's understanding, um, trying to recall exactly his words, he, he bends the words here to say that, that um, in his understanding of us, there is no calculation. Meaning in Hashem's understanding of Bnei Yisrael, there's no calculation of number. It doesn't, number means nothing to Hashem. Not that Lutuvun Atoyen Mispar, that we can't calculate Hashem, but in, from his perspective, from his understanding, Ein Mispar, there's no numbers. So to Hashem, you could have infinite stars, it's not a number to him. Lutuvun to his understanding, Ein Mispar. There's no, numbers mean nothing. Okay. We could bend it, I mean, the, the, yeah, the grammar is difficult, so... Some are for some say that yeah it just means you can't calculate his like his uh, his genius and some would just bend the grammar and learn it different a little differently. Hashem, Hashem strengthens the humble. This is an interesting yisod that the Ramban says in Igeret Ramban that um, Hashem strengthens those who who humble themselves. But now it go, it goes. It pivots from speaking about anavim from humble people to rishaim. It says mashpil rishaim that he lowers the wicked all the way down to the earth till they get subsumed in gashmiut. That when people are wicked, Hashem will instead of raising them up, he's going to put them down. So people who are balei gava who need to be put down, Hashem will put down. But people who are humble and lower themselves, Hashem lifts them up. That's the uh, the message of this pasuk that if one is humble and a person understands who he is and a person understands that uh, that he is um, nothing but an agent of Hashem and Hashem's will and he understands who he is and what his tools are and he and he doesn't consider himself better than other people and he lowers himself to other people Hashem will lift him up in the eyes of other people. Okay, the next word is interesting. Enu la Hashem Raise up your voices to Hashem. Um, and make music with the harp to our God. So enu, like to be one, means to respond, right? It's a responsive, um, it's a responsive word. It means that the tefillah should be responsive. The Rishonim point out that the other place we see this word is by Shirat Hayam, where Moshe Rabbeinu said as Yashir, and then said, V'ta'an lahem Miriam, that Miriam responded to them, V'tikach Miriam etatof biada, and she went out and she sang, um, her shira. So, enu over here doesn't simply mean to respond to Hashem. It means to raise up your voice in a song. That's what the Rishonim try to say here. That enu is here a more um, comes from more of a language of singing than simply a language of responding. Enu Hashem raise up your voices with thanksgiving, sing to Hashem with the harp to to, to our God. be'avim. Who covers the heavens with clouds? This is Hashem's ability to um, bring rain clouds. And then prepares for the earth its rain. There's two words for rain in Lashon Hakodesh: Matar and Geshem. Now, Matar, I believe, who says? I believe the Rakech says this: that Matar is rain that comes down straight, like like bullets, like arrows. Geshem is rain that comes down like with wind, that it's blowing this way and it's blowing that way. That's why we say Mashiva Ruach Umarita Geshem. So the real Geshem with Bracha is, is, comes with Ruach, but Matar is a little bit more punishing. Like, uh, uh, what's the Pasuk say um, in, in Shema? Mm-hmm. 
What's what's the pasuk? Right, that there wouldn't be any even regular rain, that there won't even be simple rain on, on Eretz Yisrael. But regardless, the point is that Matar represents the, just the, the necessity for what the ground needs, the, 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 the water that it needs to grow. And Hamatzmiach Harim Chatzir, who causes the mountains to sprout grass. Chatzir can really mean more than that. Chatzir can mean like uh, provisions, but in the, in the sense of, of mountains, it's going to mean, uh, it's going to mean grass. He provides the beast with its food. To the young ravens that cry out for food. Now, all of these things definitely are mashal. So let's say we're in, in the, um, this vision of the future. We're in Yerushalayim. Uh, we're in this nevuah. And we're singing to Hashem that He has provided for everybody else throughout the Galut. And now here in the Gula, He's providing for everybody exactly what they need. So just like, most likely what you're going to have to do is pivot and say that Hashem is the one who gave all the animals their needs, right? And the wild animals have no one to look out for them besides Hashem. And then it points out of all the birds, instead of beasts, it says the raven. It doesn't say any other bird. It doesn't say Livnei Of Asheikro who cry out. It says simply the raven. So some of the Mepharshim like to say that, no, it's just poetic. He, he chose a rave because it's poetic. Others say that there's a Gemarank Tubot Memtetamudbet, which says that there's, the raven is especially cruel because what at times it'll have it'll have chicks, it'll, 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 its chicks will hatch, and it'll see that its children are white-feathered. It's going to say, oh, those are not my kids, and it's going to leave. And the, and, the, and the birds have no one to look after them. And so says the Gemara that Hashem, I think the Midrash in says that Hashem makes a nest, and for the white chicks, there are worms that start to sprout inside the nest, and the chicks can feed off of the worms until they turn black. So Hashem provides for the children of the raven when the raven itself is too dumb or too cruel to care for, to care for its own for its own, um, its own children. Now, if we take this metaphor the other way to humans, it becomes a very, very sad place to, to think about how many people and how much suffering there is in this world that sometimes some people are all alone and the only people that, that can, literally the only one who can help them is Hashem. And to think about this metaphor in a human realm is really too depressing to even, <laughs> to even go that direction. Um, okay, but yeah, Levnei Ka'u. This is the praise we say to Hashem that he, if He could provide even for the smallest of things that Hashem thinks about and cares about, even the smallest of things, Kavachomer, um, that He cares about B'nai Israel. So now the Pasuk does something very fascinating that, that um, it says that even though Hashem cares about the smallest creatures and even the microbiomes in, the, in, in His universe, at the same time, He does not desire the strength of the horse. And he does not wish the mighty thighs of man. Meaning, yes, Hashem might have care or want for the tiniest things in this universe, but he's not going to be impressed by something like uh, mortal power. Just because Hashem cares about bacteria doesn't mean he's suddenly impressed by somebody who's uh, a million times bigger than, than a bird. So you're more powerful than a bird. Hashem's not impressed by your scale, by your size. You could be tiny, you could be great. Um, but regardless... All of these things have no measure to Hashem. As we said, there's no measure to Hashem, whether it's the smallest things in the universe, whether it's the largest things, whether it's mortal power, whether it's uh, you know, the power of beasts, tanks, uh, uh, airplanes. None of these things have any kind of bearing on Hashem's ability to make change in the world. So these are the things that Hashem doesn't care for, is what, is, is what, is what the sense of the Pasuk is. Rabbi Schwab and the Me'iri, 
they learn that this that that no, I'm sorry, I'm not sure if the Meiri says this. But Schwab definitely says this. He says that the um, pasuk is saying something more. He learns it very differently. He doesn't say that it's simply talking about uh, that. It's not a castigation, so to speak. It's not musar. What it's saying is that in the time of Biata Mashiach, there'll be no need for war, and there's going to be no need for fighting and fighting between peoples. And so at that time. There will be no desire for people to mount their beasts. And at that time, there will be no want for people to fight uh, thigh to thigh in hand to hand combat. It's going to be a time of utopian, of utopian peace. Rather, Hashem is going to love those who fear Him or who have awe of Him. Those who place their hope in, their, um, in, their, in His goodness. I believe the Rokeach says something. I don't understand why, what, what the significance is of it, but I believe he says that et hamiyachalim lechasto is, or et hamiyachalim is gematria yeshayahu and yecheskiyahu. Like the, these two neviim. I, if I could, I don't have it in front of me, but I, I'm sorry, I forgot to bring it. But basically that it represents these two neviim who are miyachalim lechasto, that these two neviim saw the future, that they, yeshayahu saw the, the, um, the gula that was gonna that was gonna come, and so those people are those people are who David Amelch is referring to, which is fascinating because they were born hundreds of years later. So that's a, just a very interesting gematria. Uh, Praise Yerushalayim, O O your God, Hallelujah, So now we're reverting back to the. It's closing, so it's going back to its original focus. Let Zion. Praise Hashem. Let Yushalayim itself, whether it's the people, whether it's this vision of the, the third bit of Mikdash, praise Hashem. And Lord your God, Elokaich, which is your God, Zion. This is reminding us that Hashem was the one who was Mashkiach Pratiyut. It was Hashem who had Ashkacha Pratit on us throughout the Galut. For he has strengthened the bolts of your gates. And he has blessed your children that are within you. So what this means is that in the future, or in this time, in this vision of the of the third Beit Hamikdash, the um, walls of Yushalayim will, so to speak, be strengthened. There will be no, there will be a inherent security to the land of Yushalayim, where the Bnei Yisrael won't have to worry about any invaders. Beirach Banayach Bekirbech is an interesting pivot to say, oh, and he even blessed your sons within you. So Schwab had a very interesting suggestion. I didn't see anybody else say this, but he believes, I'm going to just quickly make sure that I'm not misquoting. He believes that Benayich here is, just like we say in Tanah Devei every day, is Atikli Benayich Alabonayich. That Benayich here is remes for Tamidich Chachamim. And so what it means by Beirach Benayich Bekirbeich is that the only security to Yushalayim is when there are Tamidich Chachamim inside of it learning Torah. Whenever you have Banaich, whenever you have your children of, of B'nai Israel, that's where the bracha comes from, and that's how we protect uh, Yerushalayim. I'm just going to make sure that I didn't see that anywhere else. I'm just here on the Gadola. I don't think, yeah, I think it was just sort of, um, yeah, I think this was a Schwab's Chedesh. So I'm to make sure I quoted it correctly. Yeah, it was a Schwab. Okay, the next Pasuk says, Hasam Givulech Shalom. He establishes peace through your territory. This is on the same in the same vein, basically, it's saying that in this future utopia, that there will be peace to the borders of Bnei Israel. And he does or will satiate you 
with the best of the wheat, the fattest of the wheat, meaning with the most chesed that could possibly be uh, expected in this world of utopian shalom. Now it says something, it pivots to a topic which is apropos, but it's very esoteric. This part of, this part of the Mizmar is a very esoteric uh, section because of the terminology it uses and because of the topic. But from an abstract level, what it seems to be saying here is that Hashem is omnipotent, and as soon as He commands, anything and everything will happen, right? How it got here is unclear. Why does it suddenly start speaking about Hashem's omnipotent power at the end of this whole story of the Gula and Shalom? That is unclear. What it seems to be a remez to is that it seems to be a remez to Teshuvah, because we start speaking about Sheleg and snow, and then we always know that Sheleg is a, is a remez to Teshuvah, and Hashem's omnipotent power to accept our Teshuvah in the, in the end of times. So let's, let's see the Pasukha. He sends out his instructions to the, wor- to, to the earth. Imrato, the, the, his, his, uh, his words, his instructions. How quickly his word travels, meaning immediately when Hashem declares something, his words become reality. So this is also an esoteric concept that Hashem's words, so to speak, give existence to things, right? The, that the Devarim, that the actual words, that the Vayomar Hashem Hashem's actual words can give reality, they give existence, and the existence of those words um, are uh, almost a manifestation of Hashem's will, and those things immediately take effect. Hashem sends down snow as if it were wool. And he scatters frost as if it were ash. So kefar is, uh, is frost. It's a, it's a fancy word in Lashon Kodesh for, for frost. So what does this have anything to do with anything? So if you if you look at it poetically, it's just saying oh that Hashem's the omnipotent, uh, uh, omnipotent force who causes all natural things, and He sent snow. Uh, he could send snow, and then the next pasuk says Mashich Karcho Kefitim. He tosses hail as if it's morsels of bread. Uh, who can stand up to His cold? He can send forth His word and melt them. And then He sends His His wind, and they flow as water. So the simple understanding is just very poetic that Hashem is the omnipotent creator and he can do all these things. He can make snow, he can melt it, he could send his frost and he can melt it as well. He could change water to, to, to ice and ice to water. That's the very simple poetic understanding of, of, the, of the words. However, there are more, uh, there is more to these pesukim. We know that... Um, Mayim and and uh, and Kerach and Sheleg and all these and Rakia. There's all different levels of Hashem of existence um, that Hashem has different that there were different um, modes or levels of existence in Briat Olam, and all these things represent different stages in Briat Olam. We obviously can't go into that, um, nor do I know very much about it. But it says, for example, Kefor Ke'efer Yifazer. I once heard from Belsky that there's three, uh, this, that this, Sheleg, uh, I'll say this very briefly because I don't really understand it, but Sheleg, there's Bracha, there's Barech and Sheleg, right? Bez Reish Chaf, which is 220, and there's Sheleg, which is 333. So 222, 333. The number two in Kabbalah represents dynamism, which is the ability for something to give and receive at the same time. The number three represents power and change, the ability to change something 
um, beyond uh, what it previously was. So sheleg is generally associated um, with tshuva, right? Umi sheleg albin, and I'll be whiter than snow. So the idea here is, there's also Pekidah about this about this pasuk, but there's, um, he, he said, Rebelski said that the, there's, the word par represents din, and so kifar, there's three different levels of, um, three different shemot Hashem or levels uh, that you could, uh, what's the word? That a person can overcome din. There's chaf alif, there's chaf vav, and there is yud zayin, I believe. He said there's 17, 26, and 21. Three different measures uh, which through... Yeah, I believe he said that, that was it. He said three different measures through which you could defeat uh, midat, not defeat, but really subdue midat hadin. And kefor keefer yifazer is basically chaf and vav kefor, keefer chaf and aleph, and then chaf aleph then par. Yifazer is yud zayin and par. So there's three different levels of par here. Um, this is why vanochi um, afar veefer, right? So Aram Avinu said, "Anochi afar veifer," that I am but uh, but dust and ashes, ayin par all the way to aleph par. So Aram Avinu was saying that I took ayin par, I took the seventy measures of din, and I turned it into aleph par, which is the one measure of din. There's this advanced concept here with kifor kefer yifazer, some kabbalistic idea of uh, different powers of din which are overcome. So uh, as I said, I don't understand any of this, but I do know that. There's a lot of discussion on, on these pesukim and what they actually mean. Let's go a little further. That Hashem sends His hail as if it were morsels, His ice. So the simple understanding here is that when Hashem decides to be icy cold, uh, He can be icy cold. That no one can stand before Hashem's frost, so to speak. That if Hashem decides not to be warm, or Hashem decides not to pay attention to you because you went the deterministic route, then he will be cold, so to speak. Hashem is going to carry that Hashem is going to walk with you coincidentally, and you're not going to see him in your life. Um, I should point out that kifitim, Rashi, and others learn it to be morsels of bread, kipat. Some learn it as a contraction of words, kifitim, at times. Mashlich karfo, karcho, kif, like uh, there's many words in Hebrew like this, but kifitim would mean kifitim. That's another way of learning it. He sends forth his word and he melts them. And he makes his warm wind blow and they flow like water. Then, so it says that Hashem could melt, Hashem could melt the ice, right? He could melt uh, the snow and the ice and as soon as he moves his wind, it melts like water. Then it says, The next pasuk also seems like it has no shaykhut. That he relates his words to Yaakov, his statutes and his laws to Israel, which is clearly speaking about the Torah. Whenever we say Dvarav Yaakov and Chukavu Mishpatav Yisrael, we're talking about the Torah. So what's going on here? So there's one or two things you could do to explain this. Number one, you could do, the, number, the first solution you could say is that, no. What it's saying is, is that it's ending with the promise. Magid Dvarav Yaakov, that Hashem promised that He was going to bring the Gula. And Hashem promised that through the Torah He was going to bring the Gula. So that's why we say at the last Pasuk, uh, uh, that was in the Zechut of the Torah that the Gula came. And, and so ends the, the Nivuah, so ends the vision. That's one way of doing it. Another way of being Mepharesh here is that you could say that the Mayim is a Mashal for the Torah. And that there is a stage in which 
the Torah was nimshalalish to, to, to ice. And then when Hashem gave it, gave it to us, it was nimshalalamayim. So we know the Torah flows like water, and to a degree it sustains us like water. And therefore, when Hashem gave us the, the Torah, He turned it into a... Uh, he, turned, he transformed it from, a, from, a, from the Torah from being in a state which we couldn't receive it in, which could be, uh, you know, compared to ice, and he turned it into what's known as water, or mayim, and that he made it capable for us to understand it. So that, um, from that perspective, it says, that Hashem spoke the Torah to us, he didn't do, do this to anybody else. Hashem didn't make the Torah accessible to the other goyim. There's a, there's a, there's a concept in Judaism that, that goyim cannot understand the Torah in the way a Jewish person can. When a goy learns Torah, it doesn't have the effect on him that, that, it, that it does for a Jewish person. His neshama doesn't accept it in the same way. Hashem didn't do this for any other mass, any, any other mass or any other nation, only for the Jewish people. He did not inform them of the laws. He didn't inform them of the strictures and of all the, the ways that, we, that the Torah improves our lives. Hallelujah. Says the Rokeach, Baal is a, is a remez for, Bereshi, for the entire Torah. Why? Because Baal... The first letter is Bet, which is Bereshit. The last letter of the Torah is Le'enei Kol Yisrael, is a Lamed. So Bet to Lamed, Umishpatim, Bal Yedaum. Hashem did not teach the laws of the Torah that all the way from Bereshit, all the way to Le'enei Kol Yisrael, to the Goyim. Hallelujah. That's the, the final word. And why does it end with Hallelujah? Obviously because it's a poetic uh, chain that every uh, Mizmor begins with Hallelujah, ends with Hallelujah, so it continues um, one after the other. Okay, Bezrat Hashem will finish next week, uh, continue next week with Hallelujah, Hallelujah Hashem in Shemayim, which, as we'll see, Rashi held was was uh, one of the most uh, important Mizmorim of Sukkot Zimra.